0: Welcome everybody to another series of Simon Says. Thank you for your time. I've got two wonderful guests again today. It's been fantastic. Uh, the quality of people we get to uh, uh, say come up who come along, and so today we've got. Well, uh, first I'll do the man. Probably a lot of people seen the face on TV, on I heard his voice, seen him in bands. Uh, Grant Hanson, a musician, a broadcaster. Um, of course, uh, the the host of the Man Group Footy Show. Been around for years. Uh, Grant Hanson, welcome. Good to see you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Simon. Uh, you probably should have said a jack of all trades, a master of none.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, I've seen you master. The, I've seen you master the Amman uh, Group Footy so You're okay with that, mate. Don't worry about that. And I've seen thanks. you on the and I've seen you on the guitar. You know how to play. So there's a bit of mastery.
1: <laughs> well, have a go, Simon. I that's have a it.
0: I no, have a go. That's exactly right. Well, that's great. And joining Grant. Um, Maybe a face you don't know, but a face you'll see more of. Um, Nikki Langman, a speaker, author, consultant, facilitator, emotional intelligence specialist, and has got a new book, book out we'll talk about. Uh, Nikki, welcome. Thank you for coming along.
2: Thank you, Simon. It's so good to be here.
0: Well, look, and it's great to have you. And um, just for starters now, people are going to notice that's not an original Australian accent. So where, where are you from originally?
2: I am from California originally, and I have lived in Melbourne for 11 years. So I consider Melbourne home, but you will never lose the California girl from me.
0: No, that's, no, that's good. And uh, there's a great song about Californian girls a long time ago. <laughs> Why would you want to lose
1: that, that voice? It, it sounds yeah, absolutely
0: no. wonderful. I'm to, I'm, am I allowed to say there's a little bit of sexiness in Californian accents? Or, or is that the wrong thing to say these days?
2: <laughs> oh no, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it is good because it gives me the flexibility. I do work in both countries. Yeah. So I can be uh, I can be American when I want to be and Australian when I want to be. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the both.
0: Well, just, just that, I'll just say just on that. Do you speak to Americans and they say, you sound a bit Australian? Because, <sighs> and for us, but for us you still have that American, you know, little American tinge to it. Yes,
2: yes. I'll tell you, I... Every time I speak to an American, they say, Oh my god, you sound so Australian. I'm like, You know what? There is not one Australian that's going to agree with you.
0: So. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. That's very good. Now, now, Grant, now what's happening? How are you handling lockdown?
1: Oh, look, Simon, it's been difficult at times. Um, You know, obviously, uh, I'm trying to just keep positive about it as much as I can. Every day, I set myself a couple of tasks between like nine and five, just to sort of keep myself in a little bit of a routine and and get my mind off of things. But, you know, it's been difficult and it's been difficult for a lot of people. I mean, I haven't really worked for about 11 months now and... I did the first Margaret Footy Show this year, so hopefully I can get back before the end of the year and do the, do the final series. So i looking forward to hoping that will eventuate. But, you know, it's been difficult, Simon, but, you know, I pick up the guitar, I, I watch the TV. I just try to keep myself mentally busy because I don't want to get sucked into the system of things, so to speak. I'm trying to keep myself sane by not getting too involved in it all.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, I and mean, that's the thing. The, the the music industry and the media industry. While the media industry has some uh, you know, has some outlets, uh, a lot of people are, are, are twirling their funds and waiting for something to happen. So, uh, I hope you I hope you're writing some good songs. Won't play some good guitar.
1: I actually are. I've been re- rediscovering some of the old demos that I've done and starting to think, geez, maybe I should do another solo album. I've got a- enough songs to do that. But uh, you know, when you think about what's happening right now, Simon, there's lots of other people that are a lot worse off than me, and I've uh, lost their businesses and are uh, probably going to lose their homes now and a whole lot of other stuff. So, no matter how bad I'm going, I'm just mindful that there's a lot of other people that are really struggling a lot more worse than what I am.
0: Yeah, and it's look we all, all have our we all have our little ups and downs, and I think uh, the the idea, and this is why I speak to Nikki. One, well, she um she talks about bravery, grit, integrity, and humour, and I think it's really important that we um don't lose our sense of humour. And Nikki, uh, why why are those those four your values first? Bravery, grit, integrity, and humour.
2: Those those four things are my core values, and in fact, I normally have a necklace hanging around my neck that has those four values inscribed on them as if they were my children close to my heart. Um, but those four things, bravery, grit, integrity, and humor are, are the things that I have to live with each day to be the best person that I can be. So I, I have them etched in my heart and my mind every day and especially humor and especially this year because I think you know, we're in real danger when we start to take ourselves too seriously. Or yes. the circumstances around us that we can't control. So, yes. you know, the yes. great Winston Churchill once said, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." <laughs> and so I, I have taken full advantage of that this year. That's
0: and, great. Yeah, I um, I have a I have a brother who played a lot of games of football too. Very, I don't like to tell him in public, but very smart man. And uh, he always and he was in politics, and he always said to me. Uh, take your job seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. And I think there's a big <laughs> there's, there's a big difference there because some people say I'm really important. No, the role <laughs> can be really important, and somebody else could put, maybe do it another time. So it, a good it's good thing to have the uh, good thing to have the uh, the humour involved in it because I think you have to have have to have a sense of humour to cope. Very good yeah. point, Nicky. Yeah. Now, Grant, just about the music. I want to go back. Well, I'm want to go back with both of you a little bit of how you get started. But um, yeah. uh, How did you get involved in music? Right. So you've You've, uh, you're in the, um, uh, you're actually, um, I think you're, a, you're in a band called Blackfire, and I think you're one of the most successful Indigenous bands of the 90s, and I think you even got a, a NaDOC award for Artists of the Year one year, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right, and uh, we formed in, in the early 90s, and uh, we played for about 12 years, Simon, so we toured uh, nationally and internationally, we've done China, Japan, and and Taiwan and, and had really big audiences over there. I mean, we're doing TV shows in China to something like 26 million people in 1996-97, which is bigger than the Australian population. So the exposure that we got in in Asia was absolutely wonderful. Um, And yeah, look, you know, it was a, it was a, started off as a community band, really. A lot of the gigs that we played would donate the money uh, of the gig to the funeral fund. So we could bury our elders in the community with a bit of dignity, you know? Um, And so it started off like that, but it sort of just grew and grew. And, you know, we had Paul Hessel from Crowded House um, jumping on board and recording our albums and playing drums and, even your your cousin Shane Howard was in and around the, the Blackfire scene, and, and Mando and the Pinger was another one. And you know, basically, the band took off and became very popular. And uh, you know, it created a lot of pathways for a lot of the members that were actually in that band.
0: That's well, fantastic. And to think, you know, to think about that, like people get carried away. That uh, you know, I, I played football, and well, I get carried away too. And you know, had a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. I wish I had A hundred thousand live crowd, and it's fantastic. But when you think about the size and of the audience you can have in China, it's, it's mind boggling, isn't it?
1: Well, it was, and it was quite ironic that most of the gigs that we played over there, we were were the first Western band to do so, and a lot of the the, uh, people that were turning up were students from the university because they wanted to come and practice their English with us, and we wanted to practice our Chinese. So the Chinese were talking English to me, and I was trying to talk my best Mandarin back to them. So um, that was uh, quite funny, but it was actually funny watching them all dance because they could feel the energy of the music but didn't actually have the, the Western rhythm to dance the music but nevertheless they could feel it and I just all arms and legs everywhere but uh, it was really interesting but uh, yeah some, for some reason particularly in China that, that we really sort of um, had a little niche there with, with the students from over there and uh, you know our gigs are always uh, pretty well packed so it was always interesting to go over there and uh, they made us feel very welcome actually.
0: That's great. Also, dance like nobody's watching I think there was a bit of that happening with them so that's well, fun.
1: I was a shocking dancer, Simon and Nikki. That's why I ended up playing in a band, so I didn't have to dance and make a fool <laughs> of myself. Um, so I ended up playing guitar so I could stand and watch everyone else dancing.
0: So, how old were when you first picked up a guitar?
1: um probably uh, in my teenage years i mean as a little kid I had toy guitars but it wasn't until i was at my teenage years and i sort of basically taught myself really uh, a few people showed me some chords and i went down to the the record shop and brought some music books of songs that i already that i i knew by ear and just try and sort of play play along and just looking at the chords and because i was familiar with the melodies it was easier to to pick up but i sort of just learn off a lot of different people my cousin Salwyn Burns who was in Blackfire and Coloured Stone was a very good friend of your cousin Shane Howard and as you know Shane's a very good guitar player great probably underrated people don't realize how great a guitar player Shane is and him and Selwyn are very similar in how they played all these interesting chords and progressions that I didn't know how to play but so Selwyn taught me a lot you know chords I still don't know what the names of them are so I am not know where to put my fingers but I wouldn't know uh, uh, ninth or, or whatever.
0: A major augmented seventh. Yeah, yeah exactly. I right. yeah, so right. you know, right. just
1: pick up stuff off different people and just, you know, like footy, mate, you pick up the little tricks along the way and you just put it all together and hopefully you, you turn out to be a better player.
0: That's good. Uh, now, uh, so music music and uh, the TV for, for you, Grant. Now, for you, Nicky, um, you're a bit of an endurance runner. Is that right? Yes. Now, this is, this is where I go into, these people are mad. I mean, you know, I, I, I had to, to do a lot of running and training when I was young. But when you start talking endurance, and how far, how far is the longest you run? Uh,
2: at the moment, 60 kilometres in one Yeah,
0: so that, I only do that in a car. That's it. Simon,
1: <laughs> so, mean, what's that old saying? Simon wouldn't run out of sight in a month of Sundays.
0: <laughs> now, Nikki, how did you get into endurance running?
2: Oh, okay. It's it's been an it's been a bit of a journey. So, if I may, just um, yes. going back a little bit in time. Wait, wait. Um, so, I I am a recovering alcoholic and drug okay. addict, right. and that has been something that has um, colored my landscape in a mostly negative and destructive way for most of my life. Um, and after about thirty years of that journey, bouncing up and down, going through periods of recovery followed by even worse periods of self-destruction, yeah. I finally was able to get out of that. And I was finally able to get some periods of, of lasting sobriety. And that was great, except I was still carrying a lot of emotion inside yeah. of me, negative, yeah. um, unhelpful emotion. And the thing is, the way I describe it, is when you have a disease such as addiction, and then you take away the fix that you were using, or the, the solution, you're still left with the problem. And so I was operating in a state for several years of dis-ease, where I was, I was not engaging in the behavior, but I was still carrying the problem inside of me. Very and, good,
0: very good explanation, yes.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've been working on that one for a while. No,
0: that's good, <laughs> dis-ease, dis-ease, very good.
2: Yeah. And that can be said, it doesn't have to be for something like addiction. It can be any type of behavior that we engage in that isn't helpful for us. When you remove that particular behavior, if you're not addressing what's underneath it, what caused it or what led to those patterns, then you're never actually going to find yourself in ease. So it's, um, you know, it's something that in hindsight makes so much sense to me but took years to yep. figure out. Sure. Now I'm a very high energy person. And so the unproductive emotions that I tend to gravitate toward are things like anxiety or anger. And so here I was basically just like this little firecracker of a person with no healthy outlet. And I, through a lot of trial and error, I found that, that running um, was something that, that helped me to release all of that emotion, all of that, that pent-up anger, frustration, anxiety. Um, so things like you know, um, meditation or calming, soothing routines don't work for me. Yeah, well, the things that do work for me are jumping out of airplanes, running insane amounts of kilometers in, in one stretch. But you have to find what works for you and that's a very individual journey that someone has to take in their own quest for self-mastery.
0: That's good. It's a, it's interesting. So now I'm, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a little bit older than you. Nikki. So and <laughs> I and when I when I finished when I finished my football career, I had the I still had a lot of that. You had to get the energy out. So I, you know, I I jumped out of a plane, I bungee jumped, I swam with sharks on the um, uh, Gold Coast and all these things. Yeah. And it was an adrenaline, a bit of a adrenaline, but now I'm a bit older You know, I don't need to do 60 Ks, you know, 4K walk around the park's probably okay for me now, but I understand where you're coming from that. If you're an energy-based person, you want to do that all the time and to find the right way, it doesn't have to be the same for everybody, but the right way is, and it's for you, it's it's, um, uh, endurance running and, and I'm going to say this wrong, kaya cushion, karate, is that how you say it? Kyokushin, Kyokushin, karate as well. So you're going to yeah. you're going to you're going to run a long way and then belt somebody. Is that right?
2: Yes, pretty much. It takes the expression "fight or flight" to a whole new level. Or hit and run. I mean, you know, use your humor.
0: you yeah, <laughs> go um, I,
2: I did I did undertake Kyokushin karate, um, which is a, a very hard style of karate. It's a very fighting style, um, and that was only something I started to engage in about two years ago. Um, because I wanted to, I had a nine-year-old son at the time, and I wanted to get him into some sort of sport, and martial arts really appealed to me for the whole package of self-discipline, focus, as well as um, the the physical fitness. And he was very apprehensive. He's a very, he's not like me. He is a very cautious, risk-averse child. And so I said to him, again, you know, part of my core values of, of integrity is I said, I will never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so Ooh, I. That's, wrote,
0: a, that's a big statement.
2: <laughs> it is, it sure is. Um, but for someone like me, I, you know, I, I believe in it so deeply that I will always uphold that. And I will never ask him to do anything that I won't do. So now, right. for the last two years, we have trained and fought side by side. Fantastic.
0: That's great. It's good. It's good to see when the mum and mum and the child connect together in some way. That's fantastic. And an interesting one, a big, big, um, big connection for dads and daughters is sport too. So yeah. it's interesting, interesting way it works. And uh, now Grant, now uh, is 40 person growing up.
1: Oh yeah, most definitely Simon, football and cricket. I breathed uh, both of those sports. And, and actually I did martial arts for 10 years myself. I've done Zendu Kai. And I uh, did a little bit of Kokushinkai as well when I was a little bit older and a bit of Tai Chi, but sounds like you guys are adrenaline junkies. you like, well, I could never imagine myself jumping out of a plane. I'd refuse. Sharks, I'm scared of them ever since I've seen the movie Jaws. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like to play it a bit more safe. I like the sort of relax and relaxation and stuff and meditation. But interesting what Nick was talking about, Simon, because I worked at galliamba Amber, which is an alcoholic recovery centre, and another life in St Kilda, so they done the Twelve Steps Alcohol Anonymous program, and mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people. And just interesting what Nikki was talking about because I found a lot of people really, uh, you know, get into substance abuse because of trauma that's yes. happened in their time, and they trigger points for them to start drinking or, or to start drugging. So uh, I really identify some of that stuff that Nikki was talking about. Then,
0: no, uh, very good, very good. I was going to say, and you both you you both done some. Um... It, 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 both done some martial arts. I said, for me, the best I could do would be uh, um, folding. What do you call it when you fold, pa- you know, fold um, uh, paper, uh, paper into little shapes? That's about the only or <laughs> it's, it's, origami. Origami. Yeah, I could. The deadly art of origami. I could fold you into a paper plane. That's about it. I think that's all I could do.
1: <laughs> well, Simon, you, you you would have seen Fist of Fury when you were a kid. Bruce Lee, into the Dragon, and oh, mate, I've, now, I've got
0: to do karate. You know? Oh, mate, the oh, yeah. at that age, growing up, Bruce Lee just became a cult hero. Uh, you know, more than a cult hero, and a man could do that, and you know, and all that. Yeah! And, the, <laughs> and the way, and the the whole, that's it, and the, the the way the whole body just was involved in it. Everything was just wow. You know, I felt, yeah, I can't do that. So that was easy. <laughs> You're too tall. <laughs> yeah, no, I am too tall. But that's good. But the, now, just on that, we're talking about in, in our past lives. But for, for you, mate, how the, the – because you, you started the Man Group footy show. You virtually put it together, came up with the idea and put it and then produced it, you know, um, uh, hosted it, et cetera. Where did that come from for you?
1: I, I was watching a footy show on a, on a Sunday with Rex Hunt and the boys and there was another one on Channel 9 as well. And I just – a realisation came to me was that there was no Aboriginal people on the panel. And I thought no indigenous people anywhere in AFL media just sort of was just that thought that triggered that. And I thought to myself, I'm going to make up my own AFL indigenous footy show. That was the the essence of it. And uh, so I went to 3CR where I was doing a music show, a music show I used to do there. And I said to them, I want to start up a football show. And I spoke to the program manager and, he sold it to the board, and they came back to me and said, no, it's not something that sort of fits our, our agenda here. And a couple of weeks later, I went back again and convinced them to give me uh, you know, a chance to do a couple of shows, and, and they did. And I think in the next year, it won the best sports show on a community uh, um, radio across Australia, and it just took off from there. So I did that for 12 years, Simon. And in the last five years, I, uh, I did it with Terry Wheeler, who's ex-Western Bulldogs coach, yes. and uh, you're one of your old opponents. And Sam Pang, he's now the star of the front bar, and uh, uh, are you paying attention? And so Sam, me, and Wheel's done the last five years on radio. Then National Indigenous Television came to fruition, and they heard about AFL Footy Show, and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing it on TV. I said, yep, most definitely, and that's how the show started. So 13 years this year on TV and 12 years on radio, so 25 years of my life mm. I've been involved in producing and, and writing and, you know, Doing Mangrove
0: Footy Show, and, and it's, look, it's a, a good point you make because uh, you know our our football is made up of you know they talk talk about the history of um, of uh, the MCC and, and where you know where footy started there, but the whole concept of and an indigenous sport that's been around for you know if most of the 60,000 years of the indigenous pe- population, but, is very yeah. much a part of the modern game and and you know I keep saying you need a little bit of both you need you need the you need the structure of the mcc type um, historical football as we know but the flow and the artist, artistry of the of Mangrook. and those two together you get a really good product
1: yeah and i think that's an important point you make there Simon that the game of mongrook a lot of people are confusing this it's not Aussie rules football exactly some no. of the tra- the Mangrove game we see in Aussie rules football now because of the way that we played Mangrove the marking and the kicking style and stuff. So yes. some of the traits came into the game through indigenous players playing the game. So I think that's important for people to realise that. But, you know, Ted Witten the greatest player of all, was a big fan of Aboriginal football for many, many years before it became popular for AFL clubs to recruit Indigenous players. And he used to rave about the style of game and how quick and fast and exciting and the skill level and how it just went pinging from one end of the ground to the other. So Ted would be very happy now to see how AFL football is played now because it's pretty much like he envisaged it would be.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's very good. So it's... um. Uh, it's de- it continues to develop and I think the, and that's, you know, the great thing about the uh, indig- indigenous population and the footy, it just gives, um, you know, the indigenous population in Australia is about 2% if I'm right, right, and shoot me down in flames with stats, but 3%, yeah, 3%, yeah right. and, and, and uh, yeah, yeah and, but it's about 17, percent of the uh, football population is Indigenous. So it just shows how, how important it is and how great a game it is for the inclusion of the Indigenous population and what it, what it means for the people who watch.
1: Yeah, well, Simon, there's only, you know, if you look at that stat, 3% of the population, that's about four or 500,000. And every weekend, there's 90,000 people participate in Aussie Rules football, okay. uh, the coaching, playing, trainers, 90,000. So that's only a quarter of our population every weekend are participating in Aussie Rules football. Yes. My father, the number one sport for Indigenous people, but someone like yourself had the absolute honour and pleasure of playing with people like Michael Long and Derek Kickett and, I mean, Essendon's had a huge history of Indigenous players and the North Melbourne Football Club and Carlton. So, you know, you would have seen a lot of those players up close and personal and, and just seen some of the magic that they could uh, turn on on the football field.
0: Uh, but also I've said regularly that also the education, especially um, Derek Kickett, but then especially Michael Long, the education they gave me, as a white fella in football, and not, and not really knowing that the you know the indigenous history, and just yeah. getting getting a very narrow um, very narrow uh, education about it as growing up, for them to enlighten me has been fantastic for me as a person. So I, I really I really um, really do cherish the c- connection I've made with those people.
1: Well, that, that's exactly the same thing with the Margaret Footy Show. To me, it wasn't just an indigenous footy show. Yes, the host happened to be indigenous, but the show is about bringing people together through the love of footy. You know, and making that connection so that people could you know, get to know each other uh through that platform and, and obviously you know as you would know that worked uh really really well and uh margaret as i used to tell people it was a footy show for everyone just to label it as an indigenous footy show would be selling it short because yeah. it really was a reconciliation vehicle and bringing people of all walks of life together so and margaret was able to achieve that i don't see that happening on any other footy shows
0: no, that's a good point. Mate. That's a great point. Now, Nikki, I know you're American background. Um, your husband is an Essendon Barker, but you, now, let's be honest, you're not, you aren't really a football follower, though, are you?
2: No, I'm not. And that's
0: okay. That's okay in this world.
2: <laughs> I am subjected to it, um, when I don't have control of the remote. And I, so I, I have... A, it like torture. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could say the same for my choice of activities, too. Um, but I, I happily do sit back and learn because I'm I'm a I'm a great gridiron fan. I that's the yes. sport I grew up with.
0: So do you, who, who do you follow? Do you have a specific team you're following over there?
2: Oh, you know, I'm from Los Angeles, and they yeah. really screwed around with us over the last thirty years because we had two teams, and then we yeah. lost two teams, and now we have two teams back. So I don't really know who to be loyal to. Yeah, that's true. Um, but in America, it's very geographic, so. Yeah. You know, if, if you grow up in Wisconsin, you are a Green Bay Packers yeah. supporter. That's you don't have a choice about that. So yeah. one thing I find so intriguing about Australians and especially Melburnians is is that you can have um, a family of six with six different loyalties. And yeah. I don't understand that. I might have been disowned if I'd tried that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, well, I you know I said to my kids growing up, you can you can barrack for any team you like. But if you want to live in this house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't go <bang for> to Collingwood. <laughs> no,
0: don't go to Collingwood. But now, um, just on that, you, uh, high performance. I'm always big on high performance uh, and, and getting people to understand what that means. Uh, mm. And now, um, Nicky, you've got a book. You brought out a book, and it's called, I love the title, uh, How, to Badass, or Badass, American, How to Be Badass. Badass, if it's America, How to Be Badass. Badass. Navigating your road to self mastery. Now, yes. uh, you've got to tell us about this.
2: Oh, yes, I will. So the the badass framework is something that I developed on um, over many hundreds, thousands of kilometers on the road when I was running. And, you know, I get lost in thought. I get lost mm. in, in pondering life's biggest questions when I've got hours at a time with you know, nothing but introspection. And so I started to really ponder the question, how can I be my most powerful self? And what does that take, what does that look like to be our most powerful selves? And it's funny, you know, there's a a really big phrase word that that goes around, you see it so much in business nowadays, you know, show up as your best self, bring your best self, bring your A game. But what we don't define is what does that mean? Mm. What does that look like to be the best version of yourself? And coming from someone who has not been the best version of myself more often than I have been, or for more years at this point, I I understand what it's like to not function at your best. So I really wanted to explore, well, what does it look like? So I developed a framework called badass. And I, I noticed when I started to first speak about how to be a badass, that the word itself wasn't always landing with people the way I wanted it to, because I, I think of a badass as a very positive thing. You know, yeah. Simon, you're a badass. Grant, yeah. you're a badass. To me, that's a compliment. But it wasn't always being received that way. Something called
0: worse. <laughs> <laughs> I've got something called a lot worse than that. So that's easy. I'll, I'll take that one.
2: <laughs> so I, I, I over time I thought, well, all right. How do I how do I make this be perceived the way that I would like it to be? And so I broke it down into an acronym. And so the framework was born from the six letters of the word badass. And they stand for bravery, um, bravery, authenticity, direction, action, self-love. And you have to say it because you will become what you tell yourself you are. So that's the concept. And then the book just kind of, um, it, it was something that I wrote while in lockdown, so you know, making the most of 2020, I decided to put all of my ideas, all of my thoughts, concepts, and the the, the experiences that I had learned myself. So trudging my own road to self mastery, um, you know, I put it all together into um, a compilation that I am hoping will inspire and empower people to dig deep in themselves and find their inner badass and be badass every day.
0: That's great. Now, we all, I mean, everybody likes to have a perfect life, and, of course, we all have ups and downs. And you've actually, opened, you know, openly talked about uh, your past. What, for you, was the hardest part of overcoming that obstacle about I have to take this next step out of where I am and I don't like being where I am and getting to that next step? What was the hardest thing for you to do or the, the most confronting thing?
2: Overcoming shame. Okay, yeah. So- you know, I, I think we, when we do things that we're not proud of, we can hurt other people. Mm. But the person that we hurt the most is ourselves. And when you compound that over a long period of time, digging yourself out and, and forgiving yourself um, can be an arduous journey. And mm. one that many people never successfully master. Because while they might be forgiven by others, they fail to forgive themselves.
0: Yeah, very good. Very good point. Yeah, and it is. Yes, people have. Yes, yeah. I just agree. Yes, I know people who fit that category. Um, and uh, uh, Grant, you, you, in your life, what's have been obstacles you've had to overcome?
1: Oh yeah, of course. Just being indigenous is one. But uh, I was I was uh, going
0: to say—I was going to say that in the in the white fella world, you know, you know, I'm 62, so I grew up, in a, in the you know now the, the the whole concept of how people are working towards reconciliation is magnificent, but I've yeah. come from the you know the old very much the 60s, 70s, 80s white fella world for being the black fella in that world. How did that go for you?
1: Oh look, you know, because I was born in the Turak of the western suburbs out at St Albans, I grew up there and born at Footstray. I was quite fortunate in St. Albans. It was a very multicultural society. Yes. Out there. So the, the common white Australian was was the was minority, really. So <laughs> a lot of my friends are Greek and Italian, and they recognized me as being a real Australian. So I didn't really have a lot of racism. But the only time it really happened, Simon, was when I played cricket and football to yeah, yeah. get black wog because I didn't know what I was. Um, but I was one of those people right or wrong, if I cop racism, I'd give it back. I was one of those people. Yeah. Um, people would affect, but, you know, getting back to obstacles and stuff, you know, I, my parents split up when I was 12 or 13, and my mother's the Aboriginal side, and uh, mum was a very strong woman and very well-principled, and she used to say to me, love, you make your own luck. Yeah. So I took that adage that anything I tried was all about having a go. So... Yeah. I, people now that the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I had a go and I made my own luck, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know. It,
0: it, it, isn't it funny? How, it. What's, what's that old saying? The harder I try, the luckier I get, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that adage as well. And, and, like, I'm not, you know, as I tell people even now, these days, I'm, I'm not talented really at anything. It's just that I had a go. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, you know, basically. And now I talk about the Munger Footy Show, 350 odd or 370 live shows. I reckon i 've watched about uh, the, or I've watched all those episodes and thought to myself i 've done six shows really, really well. The other three hundred and seventy I need to improve myself so i'm, I'm just a critic Simon you know
0: uh, but it um, 's an interesting point isn 't it because if you, if you want to get better. Um, you know, I I, I said, don't be soft on yourself because there's an auntie or an uncle um, who'll do that. You know, oh, you'll be right. You'll be right. Um, uh, Don't be hard on yourself. There's a boss or somebody else. be Just be honest with yourself. And I think if you're honest with yourself, then you can make really good decisions.
1: And and Nick,
0: you know, sorry, you keep going great. Yeah.
1: And Nick would know this too, that, you know, when it comes to healing and and, and getting off of drugs and alcohol and stuff, you probably need some good, mentors around you i know Mm -hmm. simon you had a lot of uh, through football and nikki would probably identify this in the programs that she runs that you have got to have people that can keep you level headed people that can give you good advice for me it was community elders and and family and i think they're really important uh people to have in your life path
0: no it's a very good point we all um uh, you need you need to take you know, you're very good point. Mate. You need to take control of your life and be in charge of it. You need a whole lot of people. You can't do it by yourself. You need a need a whole lot of people to help you get there along the way. But you're in in and you're in charge. And as you say, Nikki, that the concept of self mastery is really important. But uh, it's a great concept. But you can't do it by yourself. You need people around you. That's
2: right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, it takes a village.
0: Takes a village, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Village is about one hundred and fifty people. I've seen some research where really, I reckon that uh, the writer amount you know, and they did some research on Facebook, and they said that um, even though you might have you might have um, you know ten thousand fans on Facebook, you actually interact with about twelve people regularly per day, at the, and you seriously interacting about one hundred and fifty people a year, which, funnily enough, is is a village. So
1: the important thing about mentors and people that you take advice from is that they've got to be honest with you. They've got to tell you the good things and the bad things. It's no good pumping up your tires. Uh, people say to me, "Oh, that was a great show last night," and I think, "Oh no, it was average." You know, so you don't. Not yeah. every show can be great. Not every game that you play can be great. So you need people to be really honest with you, and taking criticism on board is something that you learn to adapt to and, and take on without getting too personal. Uh, taking it personally to yourself, so you need good friends that can tell you the good and the bad.
0: Yeah, and you're and you're right, mate. And and it's the, this the old criticism, but there's constructive criticism. You know, the the thing in football, everybody in the outer in football is pointing and the critic can criticise you, but there's someone who can who can sort of get to you and say, look, this is what I think, and can do it the right way. I think we had we we spoke to Bob Murphy, um, uh, ex uh, a Bulldogs player, great man and the captain, and I, I loved his concept where he said, um. Uh, some, you know, t- talked about leadership and he said, well, you've got to hug people and you've got to push people and you've got to have that balance, the right balance. Sometimes you give them a hug, sometimes you've got to push them to get going. And I thought it's a nice little way of saying what you, good, mentor, good mentors will hug you, but they'll also give you a little bit of a push too, won't they? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Nikki, in, in your, in your uh, line of work as a speaker, author, consultant, facilitator and an emotional intelligence specialist, how do yeah. you see the mentor?
2: Well, there's something I talk about um, that I, I think defines it well. And that's the difference between admiration and inspiration. So there can be lots of people that we admire for a particular reason. Um, they, you know, we think of them as, as having great achievements or um, successes that we would like to see ourselves one day have. But the people that you should focus on are the ones that inspire you that cause a change within you. So when I think of the difference, I think admiration is someone who I look at on a pedestal. For instance, in the running world, Ilya Kipchoge, mm. the um, gentleman who just ran the first sub two marathon in 2019. That's right, yeah. I watched that with absolute astonishment um, and I admire him for doing that. But that's never going to be a goal of mine. I will never run a sub two marathon, nor do I want to.
0: And so neither, I, neither will
2: I. Neither will you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I can, so I have to differentiate who I choose to, uh, to follow. And so the people that inspire me are the ones that are on this, a similar journey to me, but maybe just a little bit farther down the road. So the mentors that I have cause a change in me, they have something that I want and that's within my reach. Um, So I think that we have to be very selective of who we choose as mentors, because if they're out of our reach, they will always be out of our reach. But if you choose people that have an impact on you, that inspire you and do something to you from the inside out, then those are the people worth investing in.
0: Very good, very good point. And so that lead, leads me to is leadership. So you people as leaders in your, in, in your field, what's leadership for you? Nick, first.
2: Leadership, it, it has to start with you. And, and this is where, you know, 100% of my focus is when it comes to self-mastery and leadership is we cannot effectively lead others until we lead ourselves first. Mm. So, you know, it, it has to start with you and I have spent countless um, hours and, and time with people in business settings who want to focus on the team. They want to focus on the business. They want to focus on uh, improving others, inspiring others, but they actively choose to ignore their own behaviors, their own actions, their own emotions. Mm. And it, it, to me, it doesn't work that way. Again, it's, it's being inspired. In, to inspire others, you must inspire yourself first. Uh,
0: very good. I, sp- I speak to people regularly about uh, look after yourself because uh, you are your greatest resource. Ooh. And that means you have to really look after this. And a lot of the things you talk about is that introspection, I've got to check on this before I go outside. So it's a very good point. Uh, and, and Grant... Um, you know, being, a, being in the world of music, being in the world of sport, being in the world of media, what, what's leadership for you? Well, I think
1: leadership's all about leading, is actually leading by example. Yeah. And particularly in the Aboriginal community, I, I sort of walk amongst my people, not above them. And I think yes. leadership is important that you walk with the people that, you beside, that are beside you. And there's an Aboriginal mural at the Aboriginal Aborigines Advancement League. Which is a huge mural, and it's all our all our political forefathers and and uh, community elders that started the movement and the Aboriginal organisations. And I'm fortunate enough to be one of the people up there, one of the younger people up there or them elders, and they're the ones that I look up to and I aspire to. A bit like Nikki was saying before, they're the people that I looked at at and admired. And thought I want to do what they do and I want to carry the torch and all the knowledge and wisdom that they empowered into me to, 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 to keep our community going and strong and, and active and uh, hence you know I'm on a number of committees, I'm on the RecLink Committee, uh, Simon yeah. got it about four four months ago and that's working with uh, with the, the underprivileged people that you know they're forgotten by society and I'm on a, on the on the media board at 3K near the radio station. So I'm on, on quite a lot of boards, but it's what those elders instilled in me. And now I'm, I'm called a leader because I'm able to get things done, but I learn off of them.
0: Yeah, that's very good. There's uh, always something. this. The day you stop learning is the day you die. You're always, we're always continuing to learn. I'm um, always asked this question, and it may be in some ways, Nikki, you've already uh, answered this, but if you had the opportunity to grab somebody who was moving into your place or into your world, or your style of work, or what's one bit of advice you'd give them?
2: Don't give up on yourself. So uh, bottom line, that, that should be the mantra that we carry at all times, every day, is do not give up on yourself. Because to me, success, and success in any way, is just a dance between perseverance and action.
0: So... Mm. Very good, I like that one. Very deep and meaningful, that one. Perseverance and action, that's good.
2: Perseverance and action. You have to have both. And, and, you, and you will never have success at anything if you stop persevering or if you stop taking action. It just, it just won't work. So no matter what obstacles you're facing, no matter what challenges arise, no matter what is happening in the world around you that you cannot control, you keep going and you keep believing in yourself. And you make you in your self love the center focus of your life, and then you will start to radiate onto others.
0: Fantastic. And, and, um, Grant, so one bit of advice, whether it's for the muso or the indigenous person moving into the media or any, any area that you're been in, what's one bit of advice you'd like to give somebody if you could?
1: Oh, look, I think obviously you just be yourself, and uh, but for me, I learned from the Aboriginal perspective where you observe. A lot so I watch people that come on the show and I pick out things I like about what they do and I put all those things together and try and take that on as well so observing and taking in a lot of stuff really put me in good stead as well so um, you know as I said earlier on it's all about having a go and just having the confidence to do it and um, hopefully that that will give you enough tools to be able to achieve what you want to do
0: well um, um, Nicky and Grant um I could do this for another couple of hours, but we have to be realistic <laughs> in time. Yeah. time. Um, really good stuff, people. Look, just thank you this. I, I, love, I love speaking to people who just keep educating me. And, uh, and, and we're all on an educational journey. Um, Nikki, I hadn't met you B- B- before and you, you were, um, you know, so somebody suggested you come and talk to us. Thank you very much. It's been fantastic. Um, Grant, I've known you for a long time, and I always, always love you, your work, mate. You really work hard on, on being inclusive. Um, you know, like they talk about uh, society being inclusive for the indigenous people, but you're—you know—you're one of these indigenous people who include us as well, which I think is—you is, know—two-way street. That's fantastic. Yep. So, um, um, people, thank you very much for your insights. Thanks very much for your time. Um, good luck for the future in this strange and wonderful 2020. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up again. For all the people out there viewing, uh, hope you've got something out of that. I've got a lot. Thank you very much for being part of Simon Says this time round, and we'll see you. Uh, see, hopefully see you again on the uh, on the next episode. Thank you. Yep.
1: Thanks a lot, Simon.